Welcome to Food Focus, a weekly companion to the Retail Focus podcast. Each show will discuss news, issues, and product releases in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Here are your hosts, Trent Kling and Leighton Kling. Welcome to another Food Focus podcast with Trent and Leighton Kling. We'll talk about Panera's earnings call and their process of store conversion, as well as Noodles and Company moving towards a franchisee model rather than a corporate-driven model. Additionally, we'll talk about a big passing in the world of food. But we begin with Rave Restaurant Group, and this is a company we've talked a lot about over the last three months on the podcast, as they are the parent company of Pie 5 and Pizza in and also reported their second quarter fiscal 2017 results last Wednesday. Their results came in worse than expected, which was difficult to do because they were already expected to be down. Top line revenues fell despite opening seven new locations and same store sales continue to just plummet for this company. Total consolidated revenue for the company decreased 3.4% to $14.8 million. This compares to $15.3 million for the second quarter of fiscal 2016. So we can see that the revenue is decreasing for a company that is supposed to be growing at a very fast pace when you see a Pi Fi franchise really having a new concept out there, trying to get new customers into the door, but it is not working. Pi Five saw same store sales drop 17.4% for the period, 16.1 decrease in same store sales for the first six months of fiscal 2017 for the operator, a 14.7 drop in weekly average sales at Pi Five. So Again, people just are not coming into these locations despite the newness and the new concept overall. Dropping at both franchise and company-owned locations are same-store sales. They did have a 9.7% increase in Pi 5 revenue overall due to a massive store count increase. We've talked about this for months now and how they're growing out their store count despite the woes at individual locations. They have 31.1% more stores. We can see that revenue growth is not proportional here to restaurant growth overall. Pizza Inn, their other wholly owned subsidiary, saw same-store sales declines of a more modest 1.2%. Net loss for Rave overall of $7.9 million versus $4.8 million in loss during the second quarter of last year. These were due to a number of impairment charges that management talked about, two of which were executive search fees as they're trying to acquire new management in place to really bolster the growth of Pi 5 and Pizza Inn overall, and then also a bad debt expense of $514,000 for the company. So you see that this in turn means a loss of $0.79 cents per diluted share versus a loss of $0.45 cents per share last year. Pi 5's operating cash flow also decreased $300,000 to hit now a negative $56,000. And the question here really is what the plans are for the management is outlining a new strategy for Pi 5. But also you have to give the company time because they now have a new CEO at the helm who's only been with the company about five weeks. Scott Crane is the former CEO of Smashburger and has stepped over to take the CEO reins of Rave Restaurant Group. Now, he saw massive success at Smashburger where he was able to grow the chain out beyond 300 stores in his time there. However, at Rave Restaurant Group, he faces a number of challenges. And I think there's certainly some negative takeaways from this earnings call and from their discussion of what they feel like their challenges might be. One of the things that was highlighted in the 
earnings call that gave me cause for concern a little bit was the fact that they claimed that there was softness in this space overall. It depends on what space we're talking about. If we're talking about the restaurant space, well, yes, there has been a lot of talk about the restaurant recession. Are we in it? Are we on the precipice of it based on what Stiefel said earlier last year? But in realities, we've talked about there's not a really a true restaurant recession, rather just some legacy operators seeing trims in sales numbers because of the sheer amount of competition. Are they talking about the pizza space overall? Well, we know that the pizza space is not soft. Domino's Pizza and Papa John's seeing massive same-store sales increases and excellent top and bottom line revenue numbers overall. And even Pizza Hut, their same-store sales haven't been slacking anywhere near the extent of Pi 5. Do they mean the space of fast casual pizza, the made-to-order type pizza, this Chipotle-style pizza, if you will, that some people call it, in this space? Well, we've seen success from Mod Pizza. We've seen success from other operators here. So I think this is really just a localized problem to Pi 5, and I understand that you want to blame the problem on something external rather than blaming it on something internal that needs to be fixed, but it worries me that they're just willing to say, that they've seen softness in this field and just move on as though everyone is seeing a 17% same-store sales decrease, which obviously isn't the case. And we've talked about Pizza Inn in the past being relatively steady in comparison to Pi 5. We saw that acceleration in sales from Pi 5, and then the sales began to drop off for a number of different factors, one of which being, of course, there are more competitors in the space, more competitors for patrons' restaurant dollar, but also the fact that they don't have a differentiator. They don't differentiate on price. They don't necessarily differentiate on quality, whereas Pizza Inn's format is fairly straightforward. They have a buffet-style format at most of their locations, and in many places where there is a Pizza Inn, it's one of the few pizza places in the town, whereas Pie 5s are located in more heavily urban areas. So there is a little bit of a difference there, and that's why you're not seeing same-store sales fall nearly as much at Pizza Inn. But their goal going forward is to continue to attract franchisees, and I think this is a problem if you say the restaurant space is soft or the pizza space is soft. That's not going to attract franchisees, and what certainly doesn't attract franchisees is the fact that their sales have been plummeting now for the last several quarters. They need to come up with a plan, and Scott Crane specifically, with the help of his management team, formulate a plan to get franchisees on board and drive future success, even if that means for a few quarters using store growth as a driver of top-line revenue over same-store sales, because at this point, they're not going to see an easy turnaround in any of their same-store sales declines. And what's even more notable is now they're starting to go against bad comps from last year. It's not like they're going against extremely successful comps as they have head into the third and fourth quarter of fiscal 2017. You highlighted some very important details as far as the external conditions that the company is facing. And you even highlighted how pizza sales have been increasing overall. We see that restaurant pizza sales were flat between 2014 and 2015 in the United States, but increased 15% from 2015 to 2016. And that includes the concept for these fast casual options such as Pizzeria Locale and Mod Pizza. But overall, I wanted to focus on the internal operations and some things that the CEO, the new CEO, Scott Crane, has highlighted during this previous earnings call. He said that they need to focus on underperforming locations and addressing individual location performance. And that means working with franchisees a little bit more directly. And so with this, 
you see that they're going to be focused more on the innovation, education, communication, and consistency with their local managers. And I think that's very important. But as you had alluded to, this is worrisome because this is a relatively new franchise. And if you're already having problems with communication and consistency, this isn't a good look for franchisees that want to come aboard in the future. Typically, a good franchisee will want to come aboard to a concept that has already proven itself, has already proven the concept. And to be honest with you, Pi5 has not done just that. They've proven that there is a little bit of demand, but they haven't proven that the individual locations can be profitable, and that's going to hurt them going forward. But again, focusing more to the internal aspects of the company, some things that they can adjust and change from the strategic standpoint. They spoke of new technology and a new loyalty program to boost recurring sales. And I was doing a little bit of research. According to firm level up customers who place orders online visit locations 67% more than companies who don't offer online ordering. So I think Scott Crane is seeing this and really wanting to utilize this and spread it out across all of their locations. And you see the success that Domino has had, especially with their mobile offering and their enhanced mobile platform and application over the last six to 12 months. It's really helped boost their bottom line. And I think this is something that they're going to be looking forward to in the future, especially for fiscal two. 2017. They had talked a few months ago about adding drive-throughs and those types of things. Those were not mentioned in this earnings call, and this was another cause of concern for me at least. We spoke about the idea of growth overall for Pi 5. They rolled out seven new locations for the quarter. The states include Oklahoma, North Carolina, Tennessee, Indiana, and Missouri, and they're opening their first airport location in Baltimore in late spring. However, they did close some underperforming locations, but failed to disclose which ones and how many. Again, overall, from an operational standpoint, it is interesting because the company hasn't been focused on the quality of their ingredients yet. As a percentage of revenue, food and supply sales have increased to 61.7% of total revenue. This is an increase of 4.3%. So from the operational standpoint and from the external standpoint, their overall market conditions and what they're doing to explain their current stance in the market, they just have not proven out their position. And honestly, you see that reciprocated in the share prices. Shares have been down roughly 2% since reporting last week, but down 54% compared to this time last year. We talked about this briefly last week, but when you're looking at things like food and supply sales as a percentage of total revenue or even staffing costs as a percentage of total revenue, you're likely to see those exponentially jump, at least in terms of sales numbers, simply because when you're not bringing in as much revenue, when you're not moving product, you incur more expenses on the food side of things. Ordinarily, what you could point at something like the economy of scale concept when it comes to food. But for them, they have to worry a little bit more about shrink in terms of food because, again, they were ordering at the same rate across the board as what their sales numbers last year or a year ago indicated. And they've had to try and pull that back. That's one of the reasons why you see that that percentage jump up for food and supplies. And that's also a reason why you see staffing levels 
maintain or stay at nearly the same level as what they were a year ago. And you see staffing levels also account for a larger percentage of overall revenue brought in in the case of a company whose sales might be shrinking. And the same store sales decrease of 17% is incredibly harmful for a company such as this. But we should keep in mind on the positive side of the ledger for Rave Restaurant Group that these same store sales we have somewhat of a limited or small sample size because again pi five is not a chain that's been around for a very long time you're likely to see some of that short-term volatility in terms of overall sales numbers as people get used to the chain and this may just be a new normal they have to find a way to make an operational profit based on these sales numbers and focus on slight gains i don't think you're going to get all 17 percent back in one year but slight gains over the next three to four years could return them to profitability. But again, as we mentioned already, they didn't really cite anything other than generic buzzwords as far as ways to energize franchisees. It's tough to get franchisees energized around a concept that so far hasn't necessarily proved itself out for most of the franchisees in the United States. And even though they talked about upgrades in technology and focusing on consistency across their brand, they didn't really mention anything as far as getting new franchisees into the mix or things that might fold new franchisees into the mix at Pi 5 particularly as they seek to grow mostly through their Pi 5 locations and not through their Pizza Inn locations, which have been around for a lot longer time. Moving on to another fast casual chain, this and Panera as they released their fourth quarter earnings last week and highlighted some important trends that have been boosting their overall sales volume. Panera quickly soared to an all-time high last Wednesday on the positive news. The company reported fourth quarter earnings of $2.05 per share on $727.1 million in revenue. Analysts had anticipated the fast casual chain would earn $2 per share on profit and $727.7 million in revenue. This according to Thomson Reuters. So this demonstrates overall a miss on revenue but a beat on profit. Same store sales for the quarter were also lower than expected. Across the board with company-owned locations seeing growth of 3% and franchise same-store sales falling 1.4%. System-wide same-store sales therefore grew 0.7%. Analysts had anticipated company-owned stores to grow 3.5%. So they missed this by 0.5%. And they also missed on franchise locations as they were anticipating growth of 0.7% and system-wide sales to be up 2.1%. Prices grew for the company 1.8%. This contributed to a little bit of a top-line revenue increase. However, again, they still missed there. Their 2017 same-store sales forecast is calling for 3.5 to 4.5% growth at company-owned locations. However, they did not give a forecast for franchisee locations. If you talk a little bit more about franchising, this is a company that doesn't disclose how many locations they franchise versus how many they own at the corporate level. But you can see that the performance really is higher with the corporate-owned locations. These company-owned locations are very profitable, and they contribute more to the bottom line. You can see that the company is quite strict on who they allow into a franchise agreement. These are typically long-term plans as Panera Bread does not sell single-unit franchises. They typically want 15 to 20 locations in an agreement, a development agreement of about six years. So this is interesting to me because while these franchise locations aren't performing that well overall, they do have a high level of scrutiny as to who they put in charge 
of monitoring and managing these locations. So I think it's a little bit odd that these aren't performing as well as company-owned locations overall. But Trent, despite those headwinds, this is really a story of their operations and future strategy and really the overarching mission of Panera 2.0. And some of these numbers that you talk about indicate the movement to Panera 2.0, as they call it, which is not only an overall company concept, but also converting their individual restaurants to this Panera 2.0 layout. And I think one of the reasons you see lagging same-store sales for franchisee stores versus corporate-owned stores is it seems, at least to this point, like more corporate-owned stores have been converted or at least converted more quickly to this Panera 2.0. 2.0 product. And you mentioned also how food costs went up for them during this last quarter. I think part of that can be attributed to the fact that they have moved increasingly towards what they refer to as clean food. And they've met their goal by this point of serving 100% clean food in their stores throughout the country. Now, for those that might be unaware, their original goal of what they call Panera 2.0, as outlined by their president, Blaine Hurst, is to reduce what they call customer friction at all points of contact. It was said that Panera restaurants were largely disorganized as far as where the customer was going, where the customer entered. There wasn't a clear entry point as far as where you were placing your order. Many Panera locations had multiple places to place orders. And sometimes you could order just bread at one counter, whereas the others, you could order multiple things. And in that regard, it was a little bit like a, a Brahms restaurant for those familiar with the chain that's mostly in the southern United States, where there are two entry points depending on the product you want. However, they've streamlined things and they've tried to go away from kind of that mosh pit feel that some analysts said they had a few years ago before the rollout of Panera 2.0 locations. At this point, or at the point of this earnings call, about 70% of Panera locations have been converted to 2.0 versions of Panera. And going forward, they have two key points that they want to try and deliver on. One is operational integrity, which again, part of that is through their clean food initiative. But the other is digital access. We just talked in our last story about the Pi 5 locations that have introduced digital access and the ones, the few in the country that have introduced digital access to Pi 5 or digital ordering are seeing a little bit of bump in sales. And Leighton also mentioned the research that had been done by analytics firm Level Up about customer engagement when they're able to order in a digital fashion or from their smartphone. Panera sees this and they've put massive investment towards their digital platforms over the past few years and that's why they spy middle single digit numbers in same store sales increases now over the next year. Digital sales currently account for about 24% of company owned stores revenue. This is a much larger slice than a lot of other fast casual chains will offer. I think this is only really trailing the pizza QSR or pizza fast casual industry where you see digital ordering numbers, of course, much, much higher than just that 24%. But as far as chains that exist in Panera's space, 24% is a massive amount of revenue coming from digital sales. And I think the company sees something with delivery as well. When you look at delivery and which units for Panera offer delivery, Delivery is available at 15% of their total units 
20% of their company-owned locations have it. So again, you see a discrepancy between franchisees and company-owned locations and the services they provide. But they see a future in the delivery aspect of their business, especially the fact that they keep it in-house. And combining that with digital sales, you really do see a platform through which Panera can continue to have operational success as they rebound from tough sales numbers over the past few years. Yeah, Panera really has been jotting down notes from the operators in the quick service pizza industry in the United States that have been doing quite well. So you can really see how they've drawn lines between digital and delivery and how they've bolstered their bottom line sales as a result. You see that they have a goal of 35 to 40% adoption as far as delivery by the end of fiscal 2017. Trent, you had mentioned that currently it's available in 15% of their total units. And if you dig a little deeper and look objectively in this data, you can see why these company-owned locations are doing a little bit better than the franchisee-operated locations because these locations are adopting the technology a little bit more and they are adopting the delivery service a little bit more as well. You see that 20% of company-owned locations have delivery, whereas system-wide, it's only 15%. And you see that the majority of company-owned stores have the digital platform integrated into their location base. So you see a lot of involved work here with the company-owned location. So you're wondering if they're just trying to prove out the concept and get it to the point where they're on a final iteration a working iteration of these platforms before they roll it out to all the franchisee locations. But overall, you can see that they are working diligently to provide added value to the consumer. You're seeing that the cost per location to add delivery, they've minimized it. They've really gotten it down to a low point. It only costs $25,000 per location to add delivery services. And as you mentioned, it's going to really help them by having the delivery in-house. This is going to demonetize their brand in any sort of way. You see a lot of other operators using third-party companies, but a lot of skepticism and a lot of ridicule has been about having a company such as Uber or Lyft deliver your food to your home. Additionally, on the customer service route and the food innovation route, Trent, you had mentioned earlier they had had a 100% clean food initiative earlier last year. They have met their goals. And what this means and what they really stand for here is having no artificial flavors, no artificial sweeteners, no preservatives, and no added artificial colors. And this has really been pronounced by a very large ad campaign, and you can see it via their YouTube channel, which actually has a significant amount of followers here. But as you had mentioned with customer service, they are very dedicated to making the necessary adjustments to have the customer in and out. So whether this means delivery, either this means picking up orders from their digital platforms, they see this as a key driver for returning customers. So not only is the food quality and food safety going to be a very hot topic in the coming years for the operator, they're looking at being differentiated by being the fastest in their space. And that's something they said multiple times throughout this earnings call, which again, I think is one of the reasons why the stock popped so much because they really seem dedicated to the goals that they had outlined about three to four quarters ago. And they've really come through on these goals, seeing the 70% integration of the 2.0 location is a really good thing for the company. And then also they're rolling out the membership rewards, which has been proven out to be a very successful program. They have 25 million members now representing 51% 
of their current company transactions. And they want to focus a little bit more on the one-on-one marketing aspect of that, really understanding what each individual customer wants. And they talked about zip codes a lot. They want to understand what markets are wanting what and if there's any seasonal displays of trends within those markets. So I think all of this information is going to be good, especially as you look towards a very competitive industry in 2017. You spy the differences between Panera and Pi5 and the Rave Restaurant Group as a whole, the first business we talked about today. But some of the largest differences exist in that Panera set concrete goals. They talk about the clean food goal. They talk about the rollout of their Panera 2.0 locations. They talk about the rollout of delivery. They're setting up clear goals that are easy to follow. And it's a yes or no thing. Have you met your goal? Yes or no for Panera as an analyst looking at them. Well, if you look at Rave Restaurant Group, a lot of what they talk about is in generalities. We want to be able to execute well on the store level. We want to be able to drive more engagement with their franchisees. Well, what does any of that mean? And again, you know, their CEO has only been there for five weeks. But at the same time, that's the difference between Panera and their current success and what we see going on at Pi5, where there's not really a whole lot of regimented goals. They're not very specific about what they want to accomplish. And I think that's why you see in part a lot of shareholder interest in Panera and that's why their stock is trading at an all-time high of $233 per share is because they've been able to spell out these goals, execute on them, succeed on the goals, and the results are showing up in their top line revenue. Now sure, some of their goals might actually hurt their bottom lines, especially the clean food goal, but this is something that's going to perhaps help them in the future on the marketing aspect. Now one headwind in terms of natural and clean food for Panera is the fact that it's very difficult for them being a bakery to offer any gluten-free options. There's flour all over that kitchen, so it would be difficult for them to spell that stuff out because of the risk of cross-contamination. But at the same time, you see also in an era where a lot of businesses are seeking to franchise or refranchise their locations, Panera only refranchised a little less than 2% of their total locations in 2016. Leighton talked about their strict rules for franchisees, and that's compared to the fact that they've opened 93 locations in the last calendar year. They have over 2,000 total locations. So the fact that they refranchised just 27 really speaks to the idea that Panera is seeing success with the company-owned stores, and they want to continue going that route for the most part. And that all comes at a time when a lot of these fast casual places are seeking to refranchise more and more of their corporate-owned stores. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what percentage going forward they're going to refranchise. But again, it has to all come down to the individual performance and maybe some networking as well. You're saying that some franchisees may be a little bit better operators than others. Overall, the company wants to open 70 to 80 new locations in fiscal 2017, and they did not lay out the exact plans as to how many are going to be franchised and how many are going to be company-owned. But you see this 3.5% increase annually, a very strong number for an operator. However, a still modest one. You see this company is very careful as to what areas they expand into, and I think overall that's going to be a good strategy coming into an area where, again, competition is very high. 
Panera is like Chipotle in that they really do a lot of very good research. They do their due diligence when coming into a market, whether it be new or an existing market, to see if the traffic is going to be suitable for them, if it's going to help out the locations, and if it's going to interfere with current operations of other franchisees. So I think they've done a really good job. And you can see, as you mentioned, Trent, over 2,000 locations in total in 46 states and a few in Canada really taking hold in the United States as far as an operator. We stay in the fast casual industry for our third story, but we look at a business that is looking now to sell off many of its company-owned locations to franchisees, kind of doing the opposite of, of what Panera is doing going forward. We talk about Noodles and Company. They were established in 1995, and they're a fast casual restaurant specializing first and foremost in pasta, but also soups and salads. Additionally, they also released their preliminary fourth quarter results so not their finalized fourth quarter results but their preliminary fourth quarter results for the period ending january 3rd we begin with their franchise plan they partnered with the investment banking firm cypress group to help find suitable partners and assist with this transition of moving many company-owned locations into the franchised realm and overall you see signs that they want franchisees to play a larger part with the company, but also a larger part in growing the company. The hope is that by refranchising some of their current stores, they can find franchise operators that are willing to expand their holdings. They mentioned at this point that they're over 85% company owned and they want to tweak that overall percentage. Yeah, and you see this transition coming from lackluster performance over the last several quarters. Currently, they're 85% company-owned. However, they want to minimize their risk here, and they want to reduce that number overall. They didn't say what their target number is, but they did say that 73 of their current 455 locations are operated by a franchisee. They want to expand this number, but you know, the interesting thing for the company here is, too, that they outlined plans to close 55 of the worst-performing locations, and they have plans to open only 12 to 15 for the first half of fiscal 2017. So this comes as the company says they're going to be focused on margins going forward. And they used a couple of historical examples and a few analysts were looking at historical examples as well, citing companies that were really bogged down as far as total unit same store sales until they closed their underperforming locations or until they started refranchising a little bit more aggressively. And you see this refranchising strategy with Sonic. You've seen it with with Applebee's in the past when they were taken over by Dine Equity. But I think for this company, they really still have to prove out the concept. And I think that's going to be the overarching theme for this podcast is proving out your concept. You're saying the operator is still relatively in their infancy Having been established since 1995, they still only have 455 locations. And this was an operator that a lot of analysts were bullish on in the beginning because this is going to be another player in the fast casual space where they are going to have high revenue locations, but this has not proven out. You see that these underperforming locations are averaging only 700000 per location, while the better market locations are providing $1.1 million in annualized revenue. So this is something that they've looked at. They've really looked at intensely, and I think they're going to be eyeing the operators that are performing well, the operators that are getting over $1 million in revenue. And I think they're going to take those best practices and roll those out 
to these new refranchised locations and those 12 to 15 new locations and markets that have established brand recognition overall. Last week, Noodles and Company also sold shares of the company, and this was actually to pay for the closing costs for the locations that I already had mentioned. Real estate is very costly, and when you shut down operations prematurely, you end up having broken lease expenses, brokerage fees, and other costs. So they hope to raise about 24 to $29 million in order to pay for those fees. But as some of our listeners may remember, they had a data breach last year that they still plan on spending $11 million for. This is expense tied to that issue last year. But overall, this company is raising about $18.5 million in stock from L. Catterton, who now owns 35% of Noodles and Company stock, and this according to SEC filings. So a lot going on with this company, but all really directed to making the process a little simpler for the company and maybe taking a more hands-off approach to view things from the outside and see how they can make these individual locations profitable again. One thing I wanted to point out is when companies do look to refranchise or franchise out more of their locations, they need some continuity in their point of sale systems. And this really ties into what I had just mentioned about the $11 million they're having to pay for in 2017 from the data breach in 2016. We had seen a lot of data breaches last year, and a lot of this was tied to franchisees using different operating systems, different technology to really make it all one. And I think this is going to be a problem for them if they don't pay attention to it. They might have further breaches in the future if they don't have a streamlined point of sale system and technology backup systems as well. You said something I would like to expand upon in that Noodles and Company is seeking to somewhat hedge their bets and limit their risk as far as the losses they might take on the company-owned locations. Above and beyond that, when you look at the breakdown of sales between company-owned locations and franchise locations for Noodles and Company, you're seeing more success on the franchise front. When you look at their same-store sales that they just released for this fourth quarter, again, preliminary results from this fourth quarter, Noodles and Company saw a system-wide decrease in comp store sales of 1.3%. But if you look at just the company-owned stores, it's a 1.8% decline among the company-owned restaurants. But franchisees are having good success with this concept. Same-store sales increased 2% at their franchise locations despite a company-wide decrease of comparable restaurant sales. So perhaps they're seeing that by putting locations into franchisees' hands and maybe stoking some of that energized franchisee base that Pi 5 is so desperately seeking, their locations are actually more successful on a store-by-store basis than they are when they're owned by the company. All of that being said, their total revenue did see a slight increase. They saw revenue from the fourth quarter one year ago of $117 million. They expect it to be between $129 and $130 million in this year so an increase in top line revenue but most of that is driven of course by the fact that they have built out additional locations and going forward we may not see the same top line revenue increases in fact you're far more likely to see a decrease simply because they are closing all of these locations looking at a bigger picture for noodles and company their fiscal 2015 saw a gap net loss of 13.8 million so they are struggling to achieve profitability and even though top line revenue is expanding, it's coming with a cost, most notably the cost of opening new locations. 
Yeah, you can see that their margins are really hurting. And honestly, they have an overall lack of direction. I think management is really clear here in that they need to do something to rearrange that overall strategy that the company has. And I think that's going to be helping out to have these franchise locations. As you mentioned, same store sales with franchise locations are notably better than those owned by the company. And if you look back, I think it's going to be fairly easy quarters from here on. You see that in quarter four of 2015, same store sales were negative 1.1%. And that was pretty much the story throughout fiscal 2016 and that you see a lot of same store sales losses. So if they can capitalize and execute in a very good way in 2017, you you should be able to see those same store sales maybe be close to neutral, if not positive, again, if they were to execute at a high level. We move on to the last story, which is really sad news for the restaurant industry. As Little Caesars founder Mike Illich passes away at age 87, he was also the owner of major sports franchises in the Detroit area, the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Red Wings. Mike Illich passed away on Friday, February 10th, and the cause of death is currently unknown at this time. He was born in Detroit in 1929 to immigrant parents from Macedonia. He played minor league baseball for the Tigers minor league team starting in 1952, but ended up having a knee injury and had to bow out before ever having to make it to the majors. In 1959 is when he and his wife Marion opened the first Little Caesars, scraping up savings after he almost lost it all after being a salesperson in the area. Mike originally wanted the name of the restaurant to be Pizza Treat, but Marion wanted a name that would be more suitable, and she chose Little Caesar, saying that Mike was her Little Caesar. So currently we see that on Little Caesar's front page, they have a dedicated page to the memory of Mike Illich, and it says a life well lived. And that certainly is the story here in that Mike Illich is a massive contributor to the Detroit area overall as he's donated to multiple campaigns, including education and again, the sports franchises and other minor league teams as well. Mike Illich is someone that's very well known in the sports community. And over this last weekend, most NHL teams, the National Hockey League teams that were hosting games, held a moment of silence in his memory because he was, again, longtime owner of the Detroit Red Wings, helping to break a long Stanley Cup drought there in Detroit. And you mentioned, Leighton, how the name came about with Little Caesar. It was originally opened as Little Caesar's Pizza Treat, that first location, which still stands today. But I think you look at a number of other additions that Little Caesar's, under the watch of the Illiches, made to the restaurant industry and the QSR pizza industry. First being the ad campaign. We think of Little Caesar's being synonymous with the phrase pizza pizza, which was coined in 1979. And this is interesting. I think a lot of those in the food and restaurant industry don't know exactly where this comes from, but it comes from the idea that basically you could get two slices for the price of one at any other chain when you shopped at Little Caesars. Little Caesars was also one of the first to pioneer widespread customer appreciation days where on into the 90s at most of their locations, you could get a large single topping pizza for $3.99. But despite all of that, Little Caesars saw declining sales in the late 90s. They closed a number of their locations, but they saw a massive resurgence in the mid 2000s because of their hot and ready concept. They rolled out hot and ready to many of their stores beginning in 2000 
2004. The idea was you could go to any Little Caesars and immediately get a hot and ready pepperoni pizza for $5. That offer extended to cheese and now extends to even more products as well as their iconic Crazy Bread. Because of this promotion, and initially you could get Crazy Bread and Crazy Sauce for that Crazy Bread for just a dollar a piece, in addition to the pizza being only $5, they got an opportunity to kind of expand out their chain once again. We've seen unprecedented growth in the last decade plus for the Little Caesars chain, in part because of this promotion. And the promotion really helped to turn around the pizza QSR industry as a whole because it provided this downward pricing pressure on the likes of Pizza Hut, Papa John's, and Domino's. The latter of the two are seeing unprecedented sales numbers for their part as well as it forced Domino's to rethink their concept. They closed a number of stores in the mid-2000s following the Little Caesars hot and ready boom, and Domino's came back with hugely popular deals, including now offers of medium two-topping pizzas for $5.99 if you buy three or more. Pizza Hut did the same thing with medium pizzas for $6.99 when you buy two or more. We see similar deals from Papa John's, who was the last to relent to the QSR pricing pressure, but once they did, it really bolstered their top-line revenue. So again, Little Caesars made a massive stamp on the pizza industry. They're truly one of the industry titans. And we should mention that Mike Illich also, in addition to owning the Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers is known for his charity work. Leighton mentioned a little bit of it, but I think one of the more remarkable things that he and his wife did was actually open up what is called the Little Caesars Love Kitchen, which was established in 1985, and this is continued to be in circulation. It's a traveling restaurant that was created to feed the hungry and assist with food provisions during national disasters. It still exists, and in fact, they have a number of different vehicles that they use to this end. They were major donors to Detroit's Wayne State University, a fantastic university. They've given $40 million to that. They reopened the historic Fox Theater in the Detroit area in 1989. So even though Detroit has had some tough times over the past few years, the Illich family has done their part to try and bolster that area and make sure that investment in that area was still strong. And you can see that they're extremely proud of all of his givings. His philanthropic work does span throughout the Detroit area. And you can see on the Little Caesars website a list of some of the undertakings he has done over the years. In 2000, his development company helped construct the $295 million bar park for the Tigers. And he has the Olympia Entertainment Company, which is the development company that had actually done the Fox Theater reconstruction in 1989. You see that he's really helped develop that entire downtown downtown district. Now the theater is said to be thriving there. And overall, you see that his philanthropic work really has done a lot to make the new Detroit downtown area thrive. You see over the past few years, a lot of other developers coming in and starting to expand apartment buildings, really constructing new plans all the time in that area. Overall, too, you see that the Little Caesars Arena is currently being built, and that's going to house his Red Wings. And then also the Detroit Pistons construction began back in April of 2015 there. It's going to house between 20 and 21,000 fans. So a lot of work 
that he has put in in the area. And you see that Little Caesars is actually still family owned. It's in the Illich Holdings Company. And they said to have generated $3.4 billion in revenue just from Little Caesars last year. The company now has 4,800 locations globally. You see that there are Little Caesars that are now thriving throughout South America even. So just a very large reach Little Caesars has. And as you had alluded to, they changed the pizza industry. They really did back in 2004 when they rolled out the hot and ready pizzas. Companies were now having to strive to differentiate themselves on quality, not just price. So you see now that Domino's and Papa John's are one of the leaders in the industry because they talk about ingredients all of the time and then the varying ingredients you can have. So while Hot and Ready's pizzas have been having a little bit more variety of options on them, you see that the pizza industry overall has had to acquiesce and become a little bit different and a little bit more competitive as time has gone on. So a lot of influence from Mike Illich overall, and he will be remembered. Yeah, and his company, that management company, Olympia Entertainment, of course, derives their name from the original Olympia in Detroit, a sign for which currently hangs in the Joe Louis Arena, and that will move to the Little Caesars Arena when it opens next year. Both the Pistons and the Red Wings will be moving away from suburban Detroit, and it's one of the things that the Illich family was really clear on is the fact that they wanted to underscore reinvestment in the downtown Detroit area. As we do every week on the Food Focus, we wrap up today by each telling you about an item that's new to the world of food that we tried out over the last week, and Leighton, we begin with you. So I had had a longtime crush on bacon, but over the years, because of the fat content and the general health issues associated with it, I stopped eating bacon. However, at my local Costco, I decided to buy the uncured hickory smoked turkey bacon from DeBecca Foods. And DeBecca Foods is an interesting company. If you look them up, they really do specialize in natural foods and organic selections. And so this really caught my eye because there's no added nitrates or nitrites to this uncured turkey bacon. So it really was a differentiator for me. And then if you look at the overall serving size, you see that one slice of bacon is only 1.5 grams of fat, followed by about 45 calories. And right here, you see that the sodium content is also fairly low. If you compare it to a typical conventional slice of bacon, it's about half that at 200 milligrams per slice, and it carries six grams of protein. But what I like here is that it really has that hickory smoked flavor. So not only do they advertise it, you really do get it. And so I found it really interesting and very easy to cook. You see a lot less grease than you would have from a conventional pork bacon. So a very good product here. The price point was about $12.95 for four packs of about 12 slices each. So not a bad deal. Again, it was bought at Costco, but you are going to get a better deal whenever you shop at a wholesale club. I found this a little interesting. This really doesn't have much to do with the actual product, but I found myself on a link that questioned how long it took to burn off one slice of bacon, one slice of this turkey bacon. And they, they said that cycling at 10 miles per hour for about six minutes would be equivalent to burning off that amount of calories. So I found that a little bit interesting for this. Again, DeBecca Foods Uncured Hickory Smoked Turkey Bacon. Very good product. Well, a business had caught my eye a few weeks ago because they announced their initial public offering and completed their initial public offering in Canada. This business is called Freshy, and their business that completed their initial public offering in Canada is Freshy Incorporated. 
And again, they are based out of Canada, or at least that's where they are publicly traded, so not publicly traded in the United States. But they've grown. They have now 244 stores across the globe, including a great number of those in North America. So I happened to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area this last week, something I mentioned on the last Food Focus podcast, and I had an opportunity to go to a freshy store or a freshy restaurant for the first time as they are, again, continuing to grow throughout North America. And they had a varied menu with a number of different fresh options. And, of course, that's the bottom line here. They were really promoting their chili, but instead of their chili, what I went with was a bowl. And I went with the Buddha satay bowl, which had rice noodles in it, as well as broccoli, carrots, cabbage, crispy wonton strips. There were only a few of those, green onions and spicy peanut sauce. I went ahead and got it as was, so I didn't add a protein, but that was available as well. You could add chicken, steak, or even falafel to the dish. And honestly, I didn't know what to expect going in there because I know they are a very health-centric business. But I was pleasantly surprised. The sodium content was in check on what I happened to order, and yet the flavor was still there. It was a well-balanced flavor. It wasn't a heavy peanut sauce at all, and the rice noodles were light. It was a fantastic dish considering on the day I was in Dallas, it got up to 86 degrees. So I needed something that was cold, maybe wasn't uh, cooked or wasn't warm by the time I got it. You can also substitute things like rice in many of their dishes for quinoa or kale and even Even in the store, they have a lot of signage advertising the fact that they do have quinoa or kale, trying to get out in front of what has become kind of a backlash against those two foods seen as incredibly healthy in the food industry. But a great selection. It was $7, I think, for my bowl, which is an excellent price. And I can tell you I will be back anytime I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or even in other markets that have a freshy restaurant. I was highly pleasantly surprised. Have you been to the Moxies, which is what we had discussed last week there in the Dallas area? I haven't gotten a chance to go to the Moxies yet, but I plan on it on my next trip to Dallas, Fort Worth, or at least the next trip where that becomes instantly available. My interest was really peaked in Moxies after the story we had covering them, and so I can't wait to try them and, and get back to our podcast listeners about that. Yeah, absolutely. Being a visitor to the Dallas area, having a bigger metropolitan area, they have a ton of those new concepts. and. I got to be jealous whenever you travel there. Well, that'll do it for us here on the Food Focus podcast for Leighton. I'm Trent saying so long until later this week when we roll out a new retail focus podcast. On that podcast, we'll discuss Payless, the shoe store, potentially closing as many as 1,000 stores as a result of debt they have accumulated. As always, check us out on Twitter at The Food Focus or at Retail Podcast. So long. We'll be back in seven days with more from the world of food. This has been the Food Focus Podcast. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Oh,